Hey everyone, it's Copeland Bell, your resident historical housekeeper. If you love old houses, fancy things, and have a penchant for the dark, mysterious, and possibly cliche, this podcast is for you. Each week you're going to hear a story about one of the lovely historical homes that I help maintain and the strange things that happen in them. Please remember, this podcast is for mature audiences only. No little ear should be listening. So get nice and cozy, and let me tell you a story. Episode 2, The Big Blue. Do you ever have one of those days where you are constantly looking behind you? You have that feeling you're being watched? Well, that's how I felt for days after this particular job. One of the little known secrets of housekeeping is that people will often spill the tea far too easily with us. Personal things you might not even tell your best friend. Most of the time, that is totally fine with me. However, sometimes I hear something that is so outrageous, or in this case frightening, that I kind of lose my shit a little bit internally. Initially, when I pulled up to the big, beautiful blue house in the pouring rain, my mood was one of excitement. The home was perched at the top of a hill in one of the oldest historic neighborhoods of the city. The kind of neighborhood where brick-lined sidewalks had a charming, uneven look to them where you imagined horse-drawn carriages traveling down the street at any moment. The perimeter of the home was lined with a beautiful cast-iron fence with large, decorative fleur-de-lis spikes. The house itself was a dark, creamy blue. The wraparound porch had giant, lush ferns hanging, and the front door was a dark oak with beautifully stained-glass square inserts. It was dreamy. Me, having forgotten my umbrella, looked like a drenched poodle as I walked briskly up the stairs with my toolkit rolling behind me. I rang the doorbell, and while I waited, noticed the brass plaque out front read, Big Blue, Established 1840. I heard the faintest of footsteps, then the lace front curtains were pushed out of the way by a small wrinkled hand. An older woman in a white button-down shirt and jeans locked eyes with me. She reminded me of a very stylish grandmother, with her white hair, styled in a chic bob, cut at her chin, and dark brown eyes that I was certain didn't miss a damn thing. "'And you are?' she said through the glass with a raised eyebrow. "'Hey, I'm Copeland Bell. Oh, yes, yes, the fancy housekeeper my daughter-in-law hired to clean just the wood,' she said, opening the door and waving me in. Well, I've never been called fancy before, but yes, I'm here to clean the wood, I said, walking into the foyer. Oh, don't think I'm being sassy. I love someone with a go-getter spirit, and you've tapped into something that people with money think they need. Good for you. I'm Ellen, Cassandra's mother-in-law. Cassandra and Sean, my son, keep me out in the glorified shed in the backyard. But during the day when they're at work, I am free to roam the house, she said with a twinkle in her eye. I instantly liked this woman. Ellen gave me a quick tour of the home. It was as exquisite as you would imagine. 
narrow board pine floors, which looked period to the house, were adorned with wool rugs in rich blues and reds. The ceilings were at least 12 feet tall and had plaster crown molding in each room. The furniture was about what you'd expect, a mixture of traditional pieces that were pretty but nothing jaw-dropping. That was until Ellen shooed me into the kitchen. The cabinets, marble counters, and professional-grade appliances were nice, of course. But there was one massive show-stopping piece lining the back of the wall. A floor-to-ceiling, 15-foot-long pine apothecary cabinet. I stopped in my tracks to stare at this rare beauty. The top half was lined with glass cabinets, while the bottom half was made of the more traditional individual small pull-out drawers. It was stunning. Quite extraordinary, don't you think? said Ellen, standing beside me with a look of admiration in her eyes. I found it at an estate sale a few weeks ago. I went gaga over it, knew I had to have it, but also knew that the she-shed they call a guest house out back wouldn't tolerate a piece of this size. So I had it placed in here. Of course, when my daughter-in-law caught wind of your services from a friend, she just had to have the piece cleaned before we started using it. Well, I'm glad she called me. It's an absolutely beautiful piece. You have a great eye, I said while unpacking my kit. I couldn't wait to get my hands on this piece to polish and shine it back to life. But there was one small detail that gave me pause. I turned to Ellen and said, Your daughter-in-law booked my services for three hours. There is no way this job takes more than an hour and a half. I wouldn't feel right if I didn't tell you that up front. I'd be more than happy to refund the money. Stop right there. I won't hear that kind of talk. Why don't you clean the cabinet while I make some cookies? I'm a lonely old woman and I'd love some company while I ate warm chocolate chip cookies and drank some tea on the back porch. Sound good? Ellen said. Well, that's an offer I can't refuse. Deal, I responded. And so I got to work on the apothecary cabinet, cleaning and polishing every nook and cranny of that beauty, while Ellen made the kitchen smell like heaven. When I was finished, I washed up in the powder room. It had zebra-striped wallpaper and bronze fixtures. It was very posh. When I returned to the kitchen, Ellen ushered me out on the screened-in back porch, overlooking the brick courtyard and beyond the fence, the river. The guest house, or Ellen's shed, was a beautiful single-story stone building with a slate roof and roses growing up a trellis on the side. It was so not a shed. It looked like a freaking English cottage. The entire backyard was magical, and I longed to visit during the evenings when the twinkle lights strung around the backyard were illuminated. So tell me, Copeland, have you lived here long? Ellen said, handing me a blue willow plate heaped with cookies. Well, no. I grew up on the East Coast a few hours from here. I lived in San Francisco for a while after college before moving, I said, trying to briefly summarize without getting into the nitty-gritty details of my life. I sense there's a sensitive story there. My apologies, dear, she said gently. Let's try another topic then. How did you get into the historical housekeeping business? She made air quotes out of her fingers, causing the sunlight to glint off her stacked diamond eternity bands. Well, let's just say I didn't pick the best major in college, I said. Psychology, she said, cocking her head. Yep, God help me. Ellen groaned and laughed. And honestly, I love old houses and cleaning. It just seemed like the perfect fit. 
I hate being tied down to a desk and I am constantly on the move. This job is perfect for me. I love the stories that old homes tell, even from their woodwork. She smiled at me and took a sip from her blue and white teacup. Well, if you like stories, I have plenty of them, especially about this damn house. Ellen took a bite of cookie and raised an eyebrow at me. You've piqued my interest, Ellen. I love a good story. You know, I've lived all over the country with my husband, Bud, she started. Mostly on the coasts, Seattle and Boston were the highlights. We always loved historic homes. Homes with character and detail, you know? We loved renovating them together. Bud died last year of cancer. It was quick and unexpected. I'm so sorry, I said. She wiped away a tear from her eye and gave me a tight smile. It was then that I decided to move in with my son and his wife. I hate being alone, so it seemed like a good option. They'd just bought Big Blue and said they'd love some help with renovating it. And it was fun, truly. It brought Cassandra and I closer together, and I think she started to see me as less of an evil mother-in-law. I can't even imagine you as evil, I laughed. Oh, my dear, you are too sweet. But trust me, underneath this hair, there are true mother-in-law horns, I promise. I've learned to file them down for sure, but I've made my fair share of mistakes. All done in love, of course. But we have a great relationship now. I sipped my tea and smiled at Ellen's ability to admit her flaws openly and still seem like a freaking angel. She continued, Anyway, we scoured all over for the perfect pieces of furniture, the perfect shade of blue for the dining room, countertops with good veining, and custom artwork for each room. It was really coming together nicely. Then they decided to get a puppy. So of course they needed a fence, and let me tell you, finding a historically accurate fence is no small feat. What kind of puppy? I interrupted. Golden Retriever, of course. What else would go with this picture-perfect life they've created? I kid, of course. I love that dog to death, but so much shedding. She's at the groomers right now, actually. So that's how you ended up with the cast iron fence. I was admiring it from the front earlier, I said. Ah, you have a good eye. Yes, we were initially going with a white picket fence, but then Cassandra found out that the city was demolishing the old city hall building and selling off furniture and fixtures from it. This fencing surrounded City Hall, and it was from the 1850s. It was perfect. We had a company retrieve and install it, and let me tell you, it was expensive. At one point, the fencing was so heavy they had to use a small crane. I've never seen anything like it. When it was finished, well, you've seen it, it's breathtaking. But that's when the issues started, she said, folding her arms across her chest. Issues? I asked. Yes, I think that's the best way to phrase it. Little things at first. The doors upstairs started to slam shut when you opened the front door. We chalked it up to wind moving through the house, although it had never done that before. Then one day, when I was working in the garden out here, I heard a banging coming from the inside of the house. Cassandra and Sean were at work. I knew the front door was locked up tight. We'd been hanging some artwork in the parlor, and I figured one of the pieces had fallen down. I went in to assess the damage and froze. Every single one of the kitchen cabinets was opened. I stood and stared for a moment, not really sure what had happened. 
I couldn't find a logical explanation, so I closed them all up and checked on the rest of the house. Nothing was out of place. What did your son and daughter-in-law say? I asked. This story had taken an unexpected turn, and I liked it. A look of irritation flickered across her face. Well, at first they thought I was losing it. I heard them whispering about finding a neurologist for me. I'm 64 years old, Copeland. She rolled her eyes before continuing. It wasn't until it happened to them that they believed me. Sean and Cassandra came down one morning for breakfast and every single cabinet was wide open. That is so creepy. It was. But not terrifying. Just creepy. Terrifying happened later when I came out of the front door to a blood-covered walkway. At least that's what it looked like. The entire front walkway was drenched in a thick red liquid seeping from the fence line. It looked like the set of Carrie after the prom scene. And the smell, ugh, this awful metallic stench. She crinkled her nose in disgust. I screamed and ran to get Sean. We called the police, who politely informed us that it was rust runoff from the new fence. But that didn't look like rust to me. It was thick and smooth. But what do I know? She shrugged her shoulders. It happens every time it rains. We've had a fencing specialist come and look at it. Even she couldn't figure out what was causing it. So Sean just takes a hose to it every morning after a heavy rain now. But while that is annoying, it's what I've started to see that is really getting to me. What you started to see, I said. My interest was piqued and I didn't want her to stop. Yes, at first I thought we had an intruder in the backyard. I was sitting in my shed, watching television very late at night. I've had terrible insomnia ever since Bud died. So I usually stay up as late as possible watching British baking shows on Netflix until I'm too exhausted to keep my eyes open. I was sitting there in the dark with only TV for light when I saw a dark shadow pass my window. I'm never one to panic. We have cameras everywhere and a very good security system on this property. She pointed to the security camera perched at the corner of the screened porch, aimed towards the back garden. So I pulled up the app on my phone and watched for a bit. I didn't see anything. I knew the doors were locked tight and that Cassandra and Sean had done the same. So I just went back to watching television for a bit. I must have dozed off because when I woke up, the sun was rising. I leaned back in the recliner to stretch and that's when I saw her. She paused dramatically, taking a sip of tea and staring out towards the cottage. Do I want to know what you saw? I said with a laugh, but really I was starting to feel a tiny tingle down my spine. Probably not, but we're in the weeds now. Might as well finish up before your three hours are over. Okay, so yes, I was sitting in the recliner, and I looked up, and there was a woman with long curly blonde hair and a beautiful green dress facing down towards me. Almost like she was floating face down in the bathtub, but like looking at me through the water. She looked so peaceful at first. Her eyes were closed and her mouth, it held just a hint of a smile. That was until I screamed. Her eyes shot open and blackness poured from them. Not liquid or anything really tangible, just 
blackness pouring like a thick, inky mercury that enveloped the room. I couldn't see anything. Couldn't even hear my own screams, Copeland. The only thing I could feel was cold, painful, bitter cold. I don't remember what happened much after that. I just know that Sean ran out when he heard me scream and apparently scooped me up off the floor and carried me into the main house while Cassandra called for the paramedics. Later, after I had been deemed healthy and told the paramedics I must have had a nightmare, I told Sean and Cassandra what I'd seen. It was then that we called a priest to the house to figure out what was going on. As soon as the sentence left her lips, a loud bang rang out from the kitchen. The color drained from Ellen's face, and I'm embarrassed to say I let out a small yelp. We both locked eyes, unsure of what to do. I was the first to break the silence by saying, I'll head into the kitchen and check it out if you want. Ellen shook her head no. Let's just finish the story. For some reason, telling you this is making me feel better about the whole thing, she said. So the priest came out a few weeks ago. He pulled up in a beat-up old Subaru Outback and sat in his car for a long time, staring at our property. He got out and walked around the fence line, running his hands over a few of the spikes. We just watched him from the front window, wondering what in the world he was up to. We hadn't even told him about the fence, just the disturbances in the house. When he finally came to the door, the first thing he said was, Is that the fencing from Old City Hall? When I told him that it was, he said, that explains a lot. Do you see that bent piece there? He said, pointing to the fleur-de-lis spike that the fence installers had tried again and again to repair to no avail. You have yourself a classic piece of town history. My mother used to tell me the story of a young woman, heartbroken by the death of her husband, that threw herself off the city hall tower and was impaled on that spike. He was matter-of-fact just thrusting his finger towards that bent fence piece. If you've truly seen the level of activity you've reported to me, well, we've got a lot of work to do, he said before coming inside to see the rest of the home. Father James acted like this was common town knowledge, but surely if it was, wouldn't the sellers have mentioned it? Ellen's irritation was visible. I sat on the back porch with Ellen, and I shivered at the picture of a woman gutted by an artfully crafted fencing spike. What a horrendous way to die. The whole story was just so sad. Ellen continued, I thought, in my stupidity, that we could rid ourselves of the fence and be done with it. Oh, no, no. Of course it couldn't be that simple. Father James said even if the fence was torn up, there was no guarantee the spirit would leave our property. So we had a blessing performed on the house. Can you believe it? It's like we're living in a movie. We all had to go through spiritual counseling. And every week, Father James continues to bless the property. And for the most part, I'd say it's helped. When Sean and Cassandra are here, everything is perfect. Not a sound. Not an inkling of that woman. She smiled weakly and took a sip of her tea. What about when they aren't here? I asked. Already pretty sure I knew the answer. Well, I still see her. Sometimes she's in the garden. Other times, she whispers to me at night. She glanced up at my face, almost like she was ashamed to tell me the last part. What does she say? 
she tells me things about how it will end. How what will end? I could barely whisper the question. A loud bang emanated from the house and I jumped up out of my seat. Mom? A deep voice called from the inside of the home. Out back on the porch, Ellen called in a steady voice. A handsome blonde man dressed in khakis and a polo shirt strode forward and froze at the screen door. I didn't realize we had company, he said. I'm Sean. It's nice to meet you. He held out his hand and gave mine a firm shake. Copeland, Copeland Bell, I'm the historical housekeeper, I said as I started to clear the dishes from the table. I was just telling Copeland a few stories from my past. She finished the apothecary cabinet, and it looks so lovely. Beautiful work, Copeland. She smiled at me, eyes twinkling with our secret. Oh, yes, of course. Thank you, Miss Bell, Sean said warmly, without a hint of snobbery. Let me clean up. I'll be on my way, I said awkwardly, carrying the dishes. I walked through the doorway into the kitchen, headed for the sink. Every single cabinet door was open. I stood still for a moment before Sean called out behind me. Oh, Mom, you must have been organizing again. I glanced back as he exchanged a long look with his mother. Chilled to the bone, I grabbed my rolling bag and Ellen walked me to the door. Thank you for listening, dear, she said, patting my shoulder affectionately. Any time. Thank you for the story. Are you sure you're okay? I'm fine. Just a story, Ellen said with a wave of her hand. Take care, and maybe I'll buy another large piece for you to clean and polish next month, she said with a laugh. That would be lovely, I said, making my way towards the gate. I walked along the sidewalk to my car. I just couldn't help myself. I had to look for the bent spike along the way. And three panels down, there it was a marred and crooked spike jutting out among a row of perfectly straight ones. I walked over to it and ran my finger along it. It was wet to the touch from the rain. Looking down, I saw a long smear of dark red blood on the pad of my finger. I ran straight to the car, hand sanitized, said a quick Hail Mary, and vowed never to go back to the Big Blue again.
Polish and Scream is created by M. Dawson with support from Becca Rhodes.